What's up, y'all? This is Tim Einenko with The Library. Tonight's guest, Kumo D. Nobody gets ill in the place. We cover a hill, but if you try them, that's when they will get wild. But they don't fight, they kill. Kumo D, welcome to The Library with Tim Einenko. Yes, yes, yes. So I just want to start, obviously, from the beginning. Uh, did rhyming come natural to you? I mean, did the art of rhyme, was that a natural thing, or is that something that you've been continuously trying to craft throughout your career? Combination. Uh, definitely came natural, but in order to get, quote-unquote, good or what I would consider elite, you definitely have to work at it. I think uh, 90% of the time, even if you look at somebody like a Michael Jordan, uh, I'm sure some of it is God-given ability, but on another level you have to work because uh, talent is never going to get it done alone. Have you, so would you say you've perfected the art of rhyme, or is it, you know, are you still working on it? Or Oh, still working. I mean, I, I've mastered certain levels of it, but there's so many different ways and cadences and flows that can happen. Uh, some of the stuff the newer generation... <clears throat> Uh, there's a drop-off in many ways, but there's also an an upgrade in many ways, just in terms of some of the melodic stuff that they're doing and some of the ways they're bouncing around with words and stretching words. I mean, I, I actually, you know, again, always working in progress, always a work in progress. So as, they, as the time changes and as the styles change, uh, you know, it's always something to remaster. So I enjoy it from that perspective. Do you remember the, the first verse you've ever spit or you ever wrote? Uh, I wouldn't call it a verse, uh, but <laughs> the first extreme simple rhyme, uh, because I first guy I heard was a uh, Lovebug Starsky, and he was talking about uh, his DJ at the time was AJ, or I guess they were working together, and he said, um, you know, and I was I remember saying I'm DJ MoJ on the go and I'm here to rock your stereo. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and there's no J in my name, but I had no idea, you know the real mechanics of what you're supposed to do. So I was just basically doing what I heard. And I actually want to go into, there was one thing about the uh, TV One's unsung uh, that I thought was quite fascinating. Um, was the, just amazed how people are able to just kind of remember everyone's rhyme. Like everyone remembers your rhyme. And, you know, the first time you you, uh, you did the, the speed rap, rapping mm-hmm. uh, or the fast rapping, my fault. And just now you said you just remember that rhyme. How does that happen? Like, what is it about a verse that kind of sticks in your mind for this I long? I think it's, uh, and that's what I meant when I said the way things evolve, uh, you know, between inertia and entropy, some things drop off, but some things uh, accent- uh, accelerate. Uh, what I think happened at that time is I basically changed or sped up the frequency that we were kind of rhyming on. And, uh, you know, they didn't call it flow. I think that was really invented when Rakim came into the equation. Mm-hmm. But the cadence at the time and how you rhymed, it was It was real simple and a simple flow. That, 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 it was really kind of uh, more simplistic. And by me uh, just taking it up a notch and it stayed in you. It's almost like when you listen to an old record from um, Natalie Cole. Loving and pleasing and hugging and seizing and kissing and leaving and digging forever. When you do things that rapid fire like that, uh, many times, especially if there's melody on it, it sticks with people a lot because it's almost like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. You, know, you kind of want to figure out what they're saying, so you're focusing on it a lot more. Do you, um, with, with, with kind of using that uh, example, do you think maybe to more of today's rap is kind of, I guess, unforgettable? Uh, 
no, not really. I mean, 50-50. Mm. Some of it is unforgettable, and some of it is really forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to. One one of the stories I really liked in uh, the TV ones unsung um, was back in 1981 when you had your your first battle with uh, Busy B in Harlem World. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the audience, you know, for the people that haven't seen Unsung, uh, can you just kind of set the set the set 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 the scene for that night? Uh, basically, at this time, and uh, I will, I have to say that Unsung. Uh, did a very good surface job, mm-hmm. and I know they have 45 minutes to tell a story, uh, but just the angles that they chose to use and some of the stuff that they chose to leave out, to me, just didn't do real justice oh, to a tone that I would have liked set, to be honest. Okay. Um, but that was basically um, a time period where my group, Treacherous 3, we had basically the number one record of that year, 1981. It was Feel the Heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Uh the way it was going at that time is once you made a record and once you had a record that was a hit, you were separated from the crowd in terms of your quote-unquote status. So I was viewed as one of the elite status MCs. Not only that, also very well known for being a lyricist. And that stuff started happening because most MCs at the time were party MCs, but each group, and, and they were mostly groups as opposed to soloists, so each group had you know, the person or a couple of people in their group that everybody would consider lyricists, you know, in Furious Five, it would be Melly Mel and, say, Raheem. If you went to uh, Cold Crush, you would go to Grandmaster Kaz and uh, maybe JDL. And if you went to uh, Funky Four at the time when they changed the group to Funky Four Plus One, it was uh, Jazzy Jeff and Rodney C. So every group had, you know, their quote-unquote lyricists in the equation, and I was viewed as that uh, in my group uh, with Special K. So it really was just about me hosting the event because there was no way I was supposed to be in a contest at that point. Mm. And literally just because the heckler in the crowd when Busy B was doing a shtick, a heckler was basically saying you couldn't beat Mo D, uh, you know, and Busy B just kept going, I don't care who it is, I'm knocking out all bums. And for me, uh, like I said, my, my ego was what was really driving the car at that time. So I just couldn't believe that he didn't acknowledge that he wouldn't beat me in a battle or couldn't beat me in a battle. And I said, uh, well, I went to Charlie Rock and Son of Sam, the guys that were running the Harlem World at the time, and told them, uh, you know, put me in. I'm getting, I mean, I actually went to Sam. I said, put me in. I'm getting the battle. And he said, really? I said, yeah. And then make sure you put me on after Busy B. So, and I had enough leverage to do that because my thing is I wanted to get on right after him so people understood the difference, because it's like, for me, it's like, this is not a contest. This is going to be between me and you since you said you would beat me. Now, hold on, Busy B. I don't mean to be bold, but put that ball there, the ball boy. We're going to get right down to the many grit. Going to tell you a little something why you ain't oh. And then an empty shot that you don't hug. You even bitch a name from the love bug. And I don't fight it. The one thing that is kind of talked about, I talked about in Unsung, is that you, you guys talk about how that night changed kind of the way we hear the freestyle, freestyle battle today. Right. So I was just wondering if you could kind of, uh, kind of, uh, you know, explain that. Well, because most times when people battled, they didn't really talk about anybody. They basically said, "I'm the best, and I'm the greatest, and we'll beat anybody in the in the place." And everybody did their version of, "I'm the best." Uh, it wasn't until that time where people would say, "You have this, or you wear that, or you do this, or you look like that, or this is what your rhyme style is like." It was the beginning of quote unquote where dissing and diss records and diss raps came from because very few people would even do that. I mean, and if they did, it would be kind of like they wouldn't go in on someone 
uh, to that degree where I talked about buying rhymes from Spoonie and, you know, how simple a rhyme was and, you know, putting your style on hold and all of the stuff that I was doing. They just weren't doing it at that level before. And I guess because if you really think about it, uh, it could have been kind of perilous because, you know, you're coming out of the hip-hop is basically shutting down the gang violence in the Bronx, but it doesn't mean that that energy is not still there. So, you know, because a lot of these guys came from gangs and, you know, Zulu Nation kind of united it and broke it down, really dismantled gang violence, which is one of the unsung, true unsung stories of hip-hop, dismantling gang violence in the South Bronx, and all, basically all in New York for that, much, for that mm-hmm. matter, for, the, for that time period. Um, you couldn't really just talk about somebody like that and not expect something to happen, probably. So that might have something to do with it also. Okay. Again, I want to. I'm going to jump around a little bit, and, and let's jump to your second album, um, where you, you know, how you like me now, and I, I know you've you've probably talked, you know, immensely about your battle with LL. So I don't really want to kind of go into that. Um, what I do want to do is like, I want to ask you, as hip hop has become more popular over the decades, it seems like battling um, is becoming more and more a kind of a commercial endeavor by artists, mm-hmm. uh, kind of wishing that they will. Um, kind of big, you know up their profiles in the public did you know at the time that you and ll were going back and forth that this was actually going kind of well one this would make a difference but two this was actually helping your profile um no because that wasn't even a thought process the the biggest thing that's that's overstated and completely remissed is how much the battle was focused on quote-unquote or his success, I think the the or the success that came from the battle, the main impetus of the battle. It, it's just I make it. It's analogous to what happened in the East Coast West Coast thing. Mm. The East Coast West Coast battle or or conflict wasn't about style as much as the media portrayed it as style. The ba- the battle basically was in 1989, which is what I call the turning point, and the turning point at the end, the the, the ending of the golden age of hip hop, in my opinion, mm. is. Chuck D, Public Enemy has Fight the Power, KRS-One has You Must Learn, and I, Kumo D, had uh, Knowledge is King. Right. We were absolutely pushing hip-hop into a conscious space, a, a, a particularly pro-black conscious space, and it just felt like mainstream America and mainstream radio didn't really like the momentum that that movement was starting to get. And if you remember clearly, and I say this to people so many times, they had a very, very hard time getting rap records on the radio at the time. So you go from not playing the most conscious rap in 1989 to within three years playing what you call gangster rap and just beeping the curses out. So if you understood the climate of radio back then, uh, let's just say Payola was at an extremely loose and open kind of forum format, so there's nothing on the radio that wasn't paid for. So who's paying to get this on the radio, and why is radio not resisting playing this when they were resisting playing the conscious rap? When that came out, uh, you know, N.W.A. had already been out in 1988. They came in, you know, the day they released, they came out number two behind Guns N' Roses, first day of sound scan, June of 89, I mean, 88, so, you know, things like that I remember very vividly. And they were hot without radio play. So the fact that radio started playing gangster and beeping the curses out is what we were talking about. And because they were on the West Coast, they kind of took the triangulation out of it and made it about us versus them versus their style when we were just talking about the consciousness versus playing the, the gangster rap. And we were kind of going at radio and mainstream media 
but they turned it into us not liking them, and that really wasn't the case. Same thing with the LL situation. For me, the, the basis of that battle was he was saying he was the best, and everybody said, oh, Mo was mad because he said he was the best. It's like, no, everybody said they were the best. That wasn't a real issue. Right. I mean, and people after him said they were the best. You know, Rakim came, and Kane came, and Cool G Rap and KRS-One. is like, it's kind of what you did if you were a lyricist. There was no problem with that. The biggest issue for me was in the height of the crack era in 1987, which, by the way, he was 19, uh, he dropped their album called I'm Bad, and he basically said in one of his lyrics, I'm only 18, making more than your pops. And I thought, you know, for little boys that idolize and worship you and want to be you and women that lust you and kind of want to be with you, it's so counterproductive to say you're worth more than their fathers because you're making more money or put their fathers in a bad light because you're making more money than them at 18. Simultaneously on the same album, he made a reference to uh, you're just a worker boy, you're pushing a broom, and don't you know you're just a worker and your boss is my man. For those in the know understood that he was basically saying he hung out with hustlers and the guys that were workers were peons co-signing the hustle crack era and then part two for those that didn't understand when he said you're just a worker boy you're pushing a broom at red like you were saying working was whack or working wasn't cool so i just thought that that was extremely irresponsible and i was basically saying if you're going to say you're the best especially if you're the best in history you have to upgrade your content especially in this climate that's kind of the genesis of the battle We'll continue this conversation next week on And You Don't Stop with Chuck D. This is Tim Einenkel with The Library. To download the full interview, go to my podcast on iTunes. It's called The Library with Tim Einenkel. That's E-I-N-E-N-K-E-L. And make sure to follow me on Twitter at Kosher22. Shaking your head, dancing instead of sitting. The rhymes kick, the beats hitting you just like a home run, slamming like a slam dunk. Ride the wave, James Brown, Dave Funk, it happened to James like it happened to me. How you think it feel to see another MC get paid? Using my rap style, and I'm playing the background. Meanwhile, I ain't with that. You can't forget that. You took my style, I'm taking it back, coming back like Return of the Jedi. Sucker MCs in the place that said I could only rock rhymes and only rock crowds. But never rock records. How you like me now? How you like me now? Now, brothers are riding me like a pony. I'm no phony. I'm the only real microphone playing the mic like it's supposed to be played. New Jacks, you all should have stayed out of the business. What is this amateur night at the Apollo? Get off this stage. I'm enraged, just like a lion trapped inside of a cage. I'm the real king. Rap is a jungle. I never understood how could one go to a party. Watch me stand around and jock me. Become a rapper, then try to rock me. Scheming like a demon, you're screaming and dreaming. I'm from the old school. I used to see men die for less. But I'm not living that way. I let my mic do the talking and let the music play. I'm like Picasso, but of course, 
Why else would you try so hard to paint a picture and try to get yourself in my shoes? But they won't fit you. I'm bigger and better. Forget about Zephyr. Every time I rock the mic, I left a stain in your brain that will remain stuck in the back of your brain until you see me again. Respect. I come correct. The rhymes I select are nothing short of perfect. Vernacular's pure, and I can ensure life or death with my breath. My voice is a cure. I feel life from the words I spread. I'll make a sick man rock on his deathbed. Sucker MCs, I'll make your girl say ow. And she's jocking. Now how you like me now? When I heard a sucker rapper that I know I'll serve Run around town saying he is the best Is that a test? I'm not impressed, get real You're nothing but a toy Don't you know that I serve that boy Just like a waiter Hit him with a plate of these fresh rhymes And make sure that he pay the pay the pay the bill And leave him standing still And when he's had enough, hit him with a refill And for dessert, it won't be no ice cream I'm just gonna shatter and splatter his pipe dreams Make him feel a wrath, beat him down and laugh And when I finish... I'm gonna ask him who is the best. And if he don't say Modi, I'll take my whip and make him call himself Toby. Whip him good, then I'll make him sweat. Always talking about battles, but he never had a battle yet. But if we ever did, how could he beat me? He's so petrified, he's scared to even meet me. My word's the law, that's why you don't beat. You're nothing but a punk track star and a thief. So I'm putting you in punishment just like a child. Never touch another mic. How you like me now? I know you're overstuffed, and if I keep going, you'll be throwing up old rhymes I used to say way back in the day, when you used to come to my parties and pay, nobody's ever gonna rock me in this side foul, so all I wanna say is how you like me now. How you like me now? 